Today is Monday, January 6th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 348 featuring NBC Sports Boston's Chris Forsberg is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Hey there. Happy New Year. Welcome into the first Celtics beat of 2020. And since 2020 is all about hindsight, we're going to look back just a a little bit on how the Seas got to where they are right now. But first, I I think it's only fitting that uh, Celts radio play-by-play man Sean Grandy, well, he said it best in a tweet. Here's what it was. For those in New England whose attention has been elsewhere, naturally, Patriots obviously, Celtics own the NBA's third best record, 25 and 8, second best scoring margin, 7.7, sixth best offense, third best defense. They've allowed a league low 103.7 points a game, and no one has more home games remaining. 25. Welcome back. So, with that, welcome back to you. I'm Adam Kaufman. Welcome in to NBC Sports Boston, Chris Forsberg. What's up, man? Happy New Year. What's up? Happy New Year. What's going on? Oh, good to have you. You know, we were just talking. Uh, really kind of along the same vein of of what Sean tweeted, which is, okay, hopefully everybody's back and, and ready to jump in because now that the Patriots are done, people are, you know, the weekends are getting freed up. I know people are still going to watch football, <laughs> but not with the same level of interest that they did. And and now it, it can be all all eyeballs on the on the Celtics and obviously the Bruins, no disrespect to those Atlantic leaders either. <laughs> I think if you uh, if you're a Celtics fan that sort of checked out, especially with the way things ended last year, you probably looked up uh, uh, this weekend and were like, "Oh wow, you know, uh, you've missed out on a fun and enjoyable team, uh, one that's been refreshing to watch." And certainly, uh, I hope people sort of embrace it. I, I do think, like, you know, it's funny because I, I say this to my football loving friends all the time. I said, you're, "You're missing out on something good." They're like, "Dude, we can watch both." And I go, <laughs> yeah. "I know, but." Like you, you really need to invest yourself in this Celtics team because uh, there's a lot of potential. I think the numbers are still a little bit maybe skewed because of the the, the way they've dominated bad competition, and, and and there's still a lot of question marks here. Uh, and yet, I can't deny that you know they're they're just as much in it as anybody, and uh, the next couple months should be really fun. So before we really dive in, just full disclosure, and uh, I was texting with my producer, Evan Valenti, who I know you know. You've been on with him when he's guest mm-hmm. hosted as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we do this each and every week, really. I'll I'll message him yeah. and say, do you have any suggestions for a guest for this show? And, you know, you don't really have to go through that with the pods that you do because, you know, there's the one that's really internal. It's you, Kyle Draper, Sherrod Blakely, mm-hmm. maybe Abby Chin pops on. And then the other one, of course, which is, you host it, but it's really it's the Ennis Cantor podcast, and occasionally maybe a teammate comes on. You guys will, on both shows, have the occasional guest, whether it's for Cantor, a celebrity guest like a Donnie Wahlberg, or for uh, the other podcast, maybe it's a, a writer or NBC personality from out of town, that sort of thing. This show, it's uh, you know a situation where it you know really kind of whatever we want. We a beat writer, columnist, a national person, a, a former player, current player, whatever. We'll bat around names and go from there. So he said, well, how about Forsberg this week? And I said, you know, I love him, but I don't know. He's kind of everywhere. You know, he's on NBC <laughs> Sports Boston all the time. He's got he's on like four shows. He hosts a couple podcasts. You hear him on the radio occasionally. Maybe he's overexposed. Is there too much Forsberg in this world right now? <laughs> I do believe it's undeniable. Uh, I think my kids would like some more Forsberg in their life. Uh, <laughs> the schedule has been kind of crazy. 
And, uh, you know, it's funny. We were walking to school today and the, the crossing guard, uh, you know, because I, I live out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I don't think a lot of people that, at least in my, my kid's school system, like know what I do. I don't know. Maybe the hardcore Celtics fans or whatever. Sure. Uh, but a, cross, a crossing guard stopped me and she was like, I know who you are. And I was like, <laughs> that's, well, that's creepy. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and she goes, I, I, and she was, she meant it very nicely. She said she was out at a bar on Friday night, and she looked up, and she was like, I know that guy. I cross, I cross his kids walking to school every morning. And, yeah, that, 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 they, uh, so, and of course, my kids were like, well, good, good, good to see someone sees my dad. So, you know, uh, yeah, like, listen, I'm, I, I, I hope people don't get sick of hearing my, my same tired cakes and all that, but um, uh, I'm trying to invade more living rooms and, and more radios, and it's uh, when, as soon as you said, can can you hop on? I'm, there was there was no doubt in my mind. I was I'm just thrilled to get the invite. Well, I appreciate that, and always happy when you come on. It's funny the perspective the kids can have too, and obviously, I mean, you can you can fully speak to this. I don't, how old are your kids now? Ten and seven. All right, so I'm I'm a little bit behind you. Mine are are seven, five, and one. Obviously, the one year old has no concept of anything, but the five year old <laughs> kind of just starting to get it a little bit, and the seven year old he's kind of in. I mean, they're both the older boys, huge sports fans, but. My full-time gig, I mean, I do this really kind of for fun. Uh, it's, it's certainly not to get rich. And my uh, my, my full-time gig is over at uh, WBZ Radio, and we're part of the iHeart Radio family, which includes KISS 108. And so my 7-year-old will say, wow, so you get to work with Maddie in the morning? Like, <laughs> like well, we're, I mean, we're uh, yeah, we're not on the same station. But, yeah, he's like, oh, well, I only listen to Maddie in the morning. <laughs> like, okay, all right, well, fine. Don't don't worry. A so. A little bit of perspective. That's the, that's just what it is. Like uh, it's humbling. Uh, my my kids don't. My kids are are like borderline into the, what the Celtics are doing, but I don't know how many players they could necessarily name. Yeah. Uh, but then Abby Chin's uh, Christmas card showed up, and they were more excited about that. Than <laughs> there you go. Else. So, so you just know you're placing the pecking order. All right. Well, you can't have too much of a good thing, which is why Chris is here. So let's talk about this team. Now, Boston has won eight of nine. It's a busy week ahead against the Spurs, Sixers, and uh, uh, there's uh, – who do we have at the end of the week as well? It's a game on Saturday. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's, it's coming up. Either way – The schedule has already blown my mind. It's a bad team because essentially outside of Milwaukee and Philadelphia over the next oh, I think it's I think it's the much. Pelicans. I think it's the Pelicans. Oh, um, which is intriguing because, like, Zion potentially. Well, but I don't think he'll be back that early. But then there's another game later in the month which he might be back for. Right. So, you know, just for people to kind of think of, about uh, what they will watch now that the Patriots are unavailable. But all of this, it begins tonight. Back in action in D.C. against the Wizards. They suck. C's have beaten sucky <laughs> teams. They should, though. 18-2. and two. I, I don't say that in any sort of dismissive way. Like, good teams beat bad teams. That is what you're supposed to do. So 18-2 and two against these sub-500 clubs. How good is this team, though? Well, so that's my big question is that I do think, you know, it's refreshing that they've feasted on bad teams because I think, you know, part of the storyline in, in recent seasons has been that they don't take care of those games and that they would sort of play down to their level of competition. You know, they have spurts certainly where, you know, I think back to the other night against the Hawks, getting down 10 early and you're like, wait, what's going on here? Uh, but then they sort of find a way to ramp it up and, uh, take care of business against those teams. I do think it sort of inflates their numbers a little bit. Like, listen, they played the Cavs what feels like 17 times and the, the the Hornets like 23 times since the preseason. And, you know, so they've sort of run up their their you know, their score differential, their offensive rating when you're playing against bad teams. Uh, I'm more concerned about the number against above 500 teams 
Uh, and while they've had their moments, uh, I think about beating Milwaukee early in the year, and maybe they're, they're one of their better wins. Uh, they've been competitive going out west and hanging with the Spurs there. I mean, uh, the, the, the the Clippers there. Mm. I'm so used to saying the Spurs. Um, yeah, they so actually it, beat the Spurs. Just, <laughs> well, they did beat the Spurs. And they, they hung with the Clippers. They were Marcus Smart making that crazy play to off, bounce the ball off Kawhi's leg and give them a chance uh, at the end there to at least try to, to force overtime or, 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 or win that game. So, uh I do think they're they're right there. I, I, we haven't seen the full product. You know, they, there's someone been sick or out due to injury for pretty much every game since opening night when Cantor banged up his knee. And so I, I don't quite have a grasp on how good they can be, but I know they've found ways to win. They've beaten up on the teams they should. I feel a lot more confident if in this stretch, if on the say the second night of a back-to-back, they can go to Philadelphia and get a win there, then I'll, then I'll be like, okay, you know, they've, they've got something brewing here. But even in the absence of that so far, I feel pretty confident that they can match up with every, anyone because of the talent that they have and uh, the, the potential of what they can be when it's all together. Because, of course, it is a new year, maybe new perspective. And, and going into this season, the vast majority of fans, media, former players, people like the two of us, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming – People looked at the East and the hierarchy and said, okay, it's Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, those first two in some order, and then the Celtics. And it was probably Milwaukee first. Well, as you look at it right now, my opinion anyway, and, and this obviously has evolved because I said that going into the year, I actually think the Seas are better than the Sixers. I think the Sixers have a lot of problems. I don't think despite the win over the Bucks earlier in the year that Celts are better than them. I know a lot of people wanted to sort of jump into that bandwagon early saying, well, they beat Milwaukee. They're bigger, they're, right. they're better than Milwaukee. Well, all right, settle down. That's not the case. And that is, you know, yeah. that that has come to roost. We've seen how good Milwaukee is, and I don't think that's going anywhere. But do you look at the Celtics now as the second-best team in the East, even despite some of the questions that you just mentioned with not having a, a full group of personnel each and every night? Yeah, so it's funny because I, I was right there with you. I sort of thought, Celtics were in the were maybe in tier two going into the year. I thought Milwaukee and Philadelphia just had higher ceilings, were were better teams based on the, the construct of their rosters and the superstar talent they had. But it, like if you ask me to rank the teams right now, like Philadelphia still scares me more than Milwaukee because I think especially when you consider how like the Celtics line up with those teams. Listen, Giannis is a beast, and I don't know how you slow him down, especially with the changes you've had at the center position. And yet I trust that you have more overall talent in that series that can maybe differentiate. Like I like Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown before you get to maybe the number two guy, all things considered, that Chris Middleton scorches the Celtics. And then certainly, you know, further down the depth chart, like Eric Bledsoe, I feel like the Celtics can can have their way with Milwaukee based on their perimeter talent as long as they can like somehow keep Giannis under 60. So I don't like I don't mind that matchup, and that's not to take anything away. I think the Bucks are super talented. Um, I didn't think they would be this good in the regular season because I thought after last year they'd sort of throttle down a little bit and pace themselves. It's clear where you know, listen, Giannis doesn't take nights off; he just goes out there and destroys, and and that's scary because if he goes to another level in the postseason, that's a really daunting team. But to me, it's just the matchup with the Sixers that's concerning. You know, not necessarily just with Embiid. The, the that's sort of the thing that everybody wants to focus on, but just in general. They have so much size, and that's one team that's really done a really good job of bottling up Kemba, made things difficult around the basket. And I wonder how the Celtics will score necessarily over the course of a seven-game series there. Again, they have 
all the potential talent on the perimeter, like if they're fully healthy, they should have guys and, and means to score. It's just a really difficult matchup when I look ahead. And, and so I think you either got to hope that Philly just never gets its act together and that it just becomes tumultuous. And, you know, but I still think they have means, whether it's, you know, making a coaching change, making a more minor move and just shuffling up the roster, maybe making a bigger, big splash move. And, uh, like there's still so much pure talent there that if they figure it out, that that's the one team in the East that really scares me. Well, so that in mind with the trade deadline next month and, and obviously all of us starting to kind of think about it a little bit with what you've seen from the Celtics and admittedly, like you said before, and we've talked about it week after week on this show, it's hard to fully gauge what this team's ceiling is and real potential is without seeing a, a nice stretch of games where all the, the main rotation guys are available. That really has been absent to this point. But just kind of thinking about it, does this team still need a big, or would you be kind of content with where they're at based on what they've gotten from Cantor, from Tice? I mean, hell, Robert Williams, another guy who I thought by the end of the season would be this team's starting center. He's barely yeah. been available. So, and that's the hard part for me. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I might be president of the Robert Williams fan club and, you know, I'll be the first to admit that we really don't know what his, his potential is because he's just never been healthy enough for long enough to, to really gauge it. But I was in that same boat. I thought he had the best chance, the most sort of versatility that if he could, he could get, de- develop some defensive consistency, maybe not chase blocks as much, but just be steady that he could really emerge as the, the guy they can lean on. They've certainly had games and even in, in, amid their success where I've, I've sort of yearned for him to be out there. I think back to that Toronto game in Boston where, you know, Cantor's, uh, you know, his, his weaknesses in the pick and roll were exploited uh, in, in that game. And I think that's the one time where I sat there and said, man, if they had Robert Williams would throw out there, maybe that game doesn't get away from him as much as it did. Uh, but that shouldn't take anything away from what Cantor and Tice have done. I think they've been spectacular. And I think what, what, what people sometimes lose sight of is that the team has so much pure talent on the perimeter that there's just not enough basketballs to that. If you like everyone wants to go get a big name center. And I think I sit there and go, where are you getting these shots? Like you bring in someone who needs the ball in their hand 15 times or once plays run for them, you know, Cantor is a guy where he's just content to chase rebounds, run the floor, get offensive putbacks. Like you don't have to draw anything up for him. And that allows everybody else to get the shots they need. And, I think that's one of the reasons the Celtics haven't had issues is that Tyson and Cantor just bought into being really solid, doing playing to their strengths, and enjoying the success that has come with it. So I'd be lying if I said I'm not, again, concerned about how they match up in a seven-game series with Joel Embiid and even Giannis. But I don't see a means where, without sacrificing one of your top five guys, whether that's Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward, where you make a trade where you get such an upgrade at that big man spot that it makes sense. And so... My guess is the Celtics will still explore options. Um, you know, I think it's more likely the big man situation plays out on the buyout market, depending on who becomes available and whether you can get someone for relatively cheap money at that spot. And even then you're going to have to make a roster move to free a spot. Um, but I will be curious what they do otherwise. So, you know, they've got these picks. They've got uh, two late first-rounders, their own, and Milwaukee's. They've got the Memphis pick still sort of dangling there, and and there's some thought of well, if it's if, you know if it's not if it's likely to convey this year, do you move it? Especially after you saw what happened with the Kings pick last year. So uh, they've got assets to go upgrade at spots. I just don't know. Like the chemistry is really good. There's there's a lot of factors that go into whether you make the move, and some of that might be too is just the rookies. Do they develop? Does Grant Williams become a guy you can lean on in the playoffs? Um, is Romeo Langford someone who gets some more opportunity? It, it, it's just a lot of 
a lot of variables in, in, in whether Danny Ainge should be aggressive this uh, this trade market. Going back to what you were just saying about the bigs, too, I think that's where people's perspective, and, yeah. and not everyone, but a segment of people's perspective has just been off. You know, you look at, and we'll get into this in a second, the balance offensively for this group, but you don't need a, a Kevin Love. You don't even need an, an Andre Drummond, and you're not trading for either of those guys because of what it would cost you to get them to begin with because of where they're at salary-wise. But even ignoring the money, which is impossible, but ignoring the money and the cost and just looking purely at the player – you don't need those guys to come in and, as you said, command shots and plays to be run for them and that sort of thing. What you need is a good, solid, strong Aaron Baines type, you know, a defensive body that's going to come in and and be big, obviously, but body Embiid, body Horford, body Giannis, just make their jobs just a little bit tougher and be a strong presence in the middle. That's all this team needs if, in fact, you're going out and chasing a big to begin with. It's not the the all-star caliber player that we've always talked about. It's not an Anthony Davis type. Yeah, and, and I think if I, – I bet the Celtics have had, like, Mike Zarin reading the, the CBA trying to find a loophole about how they can get Aaron Mays back because right. it, it really is the perfect – perfect fit now they can't go get him until june because of they can't you can't trade for a player you traded away at least not without another team first trading for bain so it's like a lot of obstacles and you know but it, it sort of is like the perfect example of a guy they need someone who makes five million dollars who is just content to play 15 minutes a night who you can roll out there and be a bruiser so will one of those guys come available on the on the buyout market i don't know it, you know it depends on a lot of what of, of what teams sort of wave the white flag what teams just want to get off money what, what teams can't trade uh, players before the, that point. So, you know, like Tristan Thompson. But even – so here's the thing with Tristan Thompson. Like, in a vacuum, I think it, it, it got the playoff experience. He's got size. Like, I'm intrigued. Is he the perfect defender? No. But, you know, but there is some overlap there with what Cantor does. He's not a good foul shooter. Uh, he's tr- he was turnover prone in the game they played in Boston. So – it's just really hard for me to see ways in which they upgrade over what they've got. And so, listen, there's going to be games in the playoffs where Cantor gets played off the court. It's just part of the, the of the package. But you hope that what he's giving you offensively sort of mitigates that. And maybe you have that third big, like a Robert Williams, to roll in there uh, and mask those times. But, you know, I look at Cantor's plus minus, like, you know, not that that's the perfect stat, but, like, when he's been out there, I think he leads the team in net rating. And it's because he's making good things happen. Hey, I get it. He's playing a lot of minutes against backup bigs. He's feasting in those. But listen, those are what you got to do. You got to take advantage of those situations, and they've done a really good job with it. So, uh, certainly one of the question marks. But I think for as much as Celtics fans obsess about that big man spot, I just don't know if it's the biggest issue moving forward. What is? You know, I, I think it's more just figuring out what this what this thing looks like. And it, it, I guess that's a good problem to have. It's just. You know, every time they look like they're going to be at full strength, and I'm like, can we get a look at this? Their bet, what we call probably the best five lineup, where it's you know Kemba, Smart, Jalen, Jason, Gordon. You know, that's a really small lineup, but man, like offensively, that should be a juggernaut, and that's a lineup that I want to see them throw out there against Philadelphia. And okay, what does Philadelphia do? Can they play Horford and, and Bead? Do you get crushed in the glass and 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 become a liability? going up against them or does that force them to audible and sort of match up with you because they can't stay with you and your speed and your three-point shooting and so that's the little chess match that i that i want to see and it you know i know like entering the new year i think it was like five minutes for that that best five they got a little bit more uh when they were briefly healthy um 
But yet, you know, I, I want to see what happens when Smart and Cantor are, are the first two off the bench. And that's rarely happened because as soon as they got healthy, Kemba got sick. And then Marcus goes back to the starting lineup. And so I, it's more just for me seeing how it all matches up, like seeing like what is the glaring deficiency? Do, do, you, need, do, do you just need another three-point shooter off the bench? Is that more of a need than the big man? Um, to give you better spacing, to give you more uh, offensive consistency with that second group. Like, I'm pretty sold on the top seven of this team, and I think you only need eight, maybe nine in the playoffs. So, you know, who's that eight and nine? Is it, you know, uh, can Grant Williams be defensively sound and make shots when you have to? Um, it, again, it, can Romeo make enough progress uh, based on the small glimpses we've seen? You know, or do you need to go make the upgrade and, and sacrifice some of that draft capital to get that guy? I think that's the bigger thing for me is, you know, it's not necessarily the five, but maybe you get a four, you know, someone who gives you a little bit more size off the bench can, can knock down shots. Um, there's no perfect, you know, sort of model out there right now. But, um, I'll be, again, I'll be curious to see what they do. It's funny how you can just – how things have fallen, how you can answer that entire question, especially the way that you did, and not even mention the name Carson Edwards. He was well, he so, was and, he was supposed to at least you know coming on training camp and preseason what everybody thought and hoped and I was never fully on board I always thought Grant Williams was going to be the most impactful rookie of this group but that was who everybody you know buying into the hype and getting excited and you know the eight threes in five minutes and all that in that preseason game that was the guy everybody thought was going to come in and this this is your Eddie House this year this is your guy who's yeah. going to be your microwave off the bench and hit threes left and right. Yeah, and listen, you know, I can't discard the notion that he goes down to Maine, rebuilds his confidence, and comes back and is something more effective than, than what we've seen. But, like, right now, his only his his primary skill set is, is, is making a shot, and he hasn't done it. And so, you know, he's got to get to a point where he comes in and he's got the confidence in that shot. I get it. Like, listen, it's tough. I think back to Avery Bradley, his rookie year. Like, he was almost almost unplayable because his offense was so bad. And Doc Rivers sat there and swore to us, like, listen, this kid, he's going to be an NBA scorer. He can, he can score the ball. We're like, don't see it. Just, you know, hmm. 21st pick, I think it was that year. It's not going to happen. You know, a year later, he replaces Ray Allen in the starting lineup and as the Celtics march to the playoffs. And now, I'm not saying that's what Carson Edwards is going to be. I think it's more just, you know, listen, you know, he's undersized. He's a willing defender, but there's size limitations. So, for Carson Edwards to be that guy to get consistent minutes, he has to make shots, and he hasn't done it yet. So I don't want to write it off, but you know, even I, the one thing that was telling to me was the day after that uh, outburst in Cleveland, they came back, and you know, Brad was very measured in what he said. And now, listen, that's not unusual. Uh, they never want rookies to get too far ahead of themselves to think that they've sort of peaked. And I don't get any sense that Carson thought that. But I remember looking over and. You know, we're uh, doing the typical reporter thing. I was I was going to film him making like ten three pointers in a row and be like, "Look, he's still hot, still still Cleveland hot right now." And <laughs> and he had a really he had a really rough day shooting the ball. And it just shows you, like, hey, that's what happens with shooters. It's going to be up. It's going to be down. And so uh, he's got to rebuild that confidence. And I'd be interested to see, especially as they go through this sort of crazy schedule in January and February. You know, maybe he'll get nights where he gets opportunities, especially against lesser competition. And what does he do with that? Because I feel like Romeo, who a lot of people have written off and called the next James Young, has sort of reminded people like, oh, he's got some really lottery caliber talent here. And uh, it just comes down to opportunity and making the most of it when when you have that chance. But it's also asking a lot to think that rookies are going to make the sort of strides that you can lean on uh, in, in, say, the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. 
So since the last show here, anyway, Celtics perfect three and zero, including the two wins without Kemba Walker. He's going to miss his third straight tonight, dealing with that illness. It's been going around as we talked about. The back to back was impressive: home win over the Hawks, and then a road win in Chicago without Kemba. These are the two points per game, or, or these are the points per game averages with with Walker sideline. Jalen Brown twenty four, Gordon Hayward twenty one, Jason Tatum. Also 21, I'm rounding up, you know, the the halves. Hayward said that he loves Boston's balance. We have a lot of weapons on the team, so when it's not coming from just one guy, it's hard to to really lock in on that person. You know, we don't. I don't get the looks that I get without other players making plays, Smart, Tice, Brad. So, I mean, it's it's uh, something where the more ball movement we have, the, more, the better spacing that we have, we're able to play in, in that space and play with pace. We'll get easier looks and, and everyone will get going. This team still has three players averaging at least 20 points, which is kind of crazy. And then you have Hayward right there at 17. And is Cantor closing in on on being a reliable double-double guy? What aspect of this team's balance, though, has been the most impressive to you? (sighs) The most impressive? I think the the fact that Jalen Brown has been able to maintain that ability even when they've been I mean as close to full strength as they've been you know I kept hearing a lot of people say while Gordon was out well once Gordon comes back Jalen Brown isn't going to be the scorer and I I really trust what Gordon says there where you know they're the the looks that they are getting and the opportunities that they create for each other are because teams can't match up with the four quality perimeter players and so I think you take away one of those, you, you still have an advantage. You, you take away two of them, maybe you still have an advantage. And it's been impressive to see them them sort of all maintain their ability, even without you know one of them out there. Like I thought the offense would drop off a cliff without Kemba, and maybe in the first half of that Hawks game it did. But you know they've still found ways to score points, and I think it's just most teams in the NBA don't have two or three perimeter guys that can match up with them so there's going to be nights where Jalen Brown shows up and he's looking across and he's like wow you know I I can take advantage of this this guy can't defend me and teams have to sort of pick their poison and so I think that's going to be super important moving forward you know there's going to be nights where you know maybe the attention is all on Kemba and you know that allows Jason Tatum to step up or you know if they're really blitzing Tatum you know does does that open things up for Jalen Brown uh, so much of, of this team's success will come down to whether they can ride the hot hand, whether everyone can be okay with that, that there might be nights where, you know, Jalen Brown has to settle for 14 points because they put a better defender on him or the, because they're playing a certain way. Uh, if they do that, then these numbers are sustainable. And I, I, I've been really impressed that no one has sort of, you know, tried to force it too much at times. Like Jason Tatum has, has forced it in terms of like frustration when those, those, when those layups aren't falling and, you know, trying to get get himself going, but uh, even him, like it, once he gets going, like uh, efficiently, like if he starts making those layups, all of a sudden his numbers are going to be up to twenty six points per game, and it, it's just really impressive that they have that much offensive talent uh, to sort of share. Do these performances lead Brad Stevens? You think to maybe rest some of his key regulars a little more often when everybody is healthy, if and when everybody's healthy. You know, just with the confidence that others are talented enough and balanced enough to pick up the slack or are we mainly just seeing that against vastly inferior teams? Yeah, maybe in March and April, I, you know, and, and, and listen, he's hinted that even in, in, in January going into this stretch that he'd probably have to, to find some uh, days to throttle down. But again, they haven't been healthy enough to, I, I think he, he's more eager to get a look at how it all works than to necessarily uh, try to find guys days off. Um, like, listen, everyone's gotten something here. Like Kemba who really hasn't missed time in his career. Uh, to miss these three games here is, is is pretty telling, but that's a break that he's probably not used to. And so 
uh, once he's over this this illness, then uh, he should come back pretty fresh. And so I don't know if you necessarily need to, to to hunt those days. I think there will be times where if a guy gets dinged up, maybe you're on the side of caution where if someone isn't feeling good, there's no reason to force them out there. That's one of the luxuries of having having all this talent and, and again, having a more agreeable schedule here at the start of January. I, I can see, again, that by, by like April and if you're locked into a spot or whatever, maybe you, you start to throttle down and start to put the eyes on being, at, being as healthy as possible going into the playoffs. Uh, I think back to Marcus Martin and that late season oblique injury. And, you know, you just you want to make sure all your guys are ready and, and Marcus in particular, because it feels like every playoff for the last, you know, since he's been in the NBA, he's had to banged up by something. Uh, get, get, yeah, get, get, get through an injury before you can have him out there. One quick break to tell you the football playoffs are here and you can follow all the action at betonline.ag. It's all about the playoffs in both college and the pros and betonline.ag is there for you during all the late season drama. LSU Clemson, Trevor Lawrence versus Joe Burrow in the college championship and of course NFL playoffs are underway. Underdogs won last week. You got some exciting matchups coming up here in the divisional round. The Ravens still the favorite to win it all. The Patriots no longer involved. And I'm not going to whine about that right now because this would take way too long. Don't miss your opportunity to cash in one more time this football season. At least up-to-date information, including odds and lines, every spread, every winner, loser, straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season. So before the next kickoff, head over to betonline.ag, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and be sure to use our promo code CLNS50 and take advantage of our great offer today. Bring the game home with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So one thing that is noticeable, you know, you talk about Kemba not being available, at least this last little stretch, and quite frankly, he's played more this season than you would have thought when he had that injury earlier this season, only missed a game. It looked like, I mean, who the hell knows what what the potential was there. People were looking at him and thinking paralysis was possible. The offense, though, when he is out, does not flow the same way. It's not a surprise. He's an all-NBA talent. But what's really missing without him available? It's just that, again, I think the defenses are able to to sort of hone in on the other guys more. And so if you don't have Kemba out there and you can commit multiple defenders to blitz Jason Tatum when he gets the ball, you know, all of a sudden it puts a lot of pressure on Jalen Brown for as good as he's been. You know, he does struggle to sort of create his own shot at times. He's been much better attacking the basket this year and scoring off the dribble. But, you know, if you, if, if you had to run – um, you know, 50 possessions, but Jalen as your primary sort of guy, like it, it just gets difficult. And, you know, again, not having smart for stretches, you don't have that uh, secondary playmaker. And um, it just puts more of a pressure on everybody else. And so uh, Kemba, it, it, it's funny to me because he's just so, he's one of those guys where I look up and I go, oh my God, he's got 25 points. You know, it feels quiet, but it's more like he just makes the right play. And so when, when the defense is blitz him, he's been great at just, finding the open man or getting the hockey assist to, to, as the ball starts whipping. And, um, you know, you really miss that when he's out there. Uh, I think their offensive rating is something like 117 when he's on the court, which would be, you know, far and away the best in the league if they could maintain it. And it drops below 100 without him. It just shows it's just, you know, having that sort of steady presence, the guy who, when things aren't working, can just sort of to, to take it in his own hands and, and create – uh, it's a nice luxury, and, and for as good as everyone else is offensively on this team, it just offense becomes a little bit more of a grind, and, and when shots aren't falling, you don't have sort of that one guy who is capable of steadying the uh, the ship. As you touched on, and we've spent a lot of time on this, Brown having a career year. In fact, basically, last week's show with Mark Murphy was a Jalen Brown tribute show, so I'd recommend people go back and listen to that thing. But I've started thinking, you know, we've had 
so many discussions about Jalen versus Jason, especially when Anthony Davis was available. We don't have to do that anymore. She's locked up Brown. They'll extend Tatum. So both are here, I believe, for the long haul. I don't think either one of them is going to be traded. Uh, well, I can't say at all ever, but certainly not anytime soon. The Celtics believe in their future and what they have, and they want to continue to build around guys like this. But do you still believe that Tatum has the higher ceiling? I do. And I think it's just an eye test thing where he makes it look so easy. And so that's like in a bigger picture to me, that's why this, the all-star conversation, you know, we've been doing this a lot on our network and it's mm. all right. Who, if you had to pick Jason or Jalen, who goes? And the, the, I think the gut instinct for me is to want to send Jalen because the, the ceiling I perceived for him unfairly coming into the season, he's just gone and, and shoved it so much higher and he's worked so hard. I see him, you know, one of the last guys to leave the, the, the practice facility pretty much every day. There's days where he'll be doing ball handling and getting up shots with, with Tony Dobbins, one of their uh, player development coaches. And the gym is empty, and then Jalen goes up and hits the bike for 10 minutes and then comes back down and thinks about shooting until he realizes there's one reporter been waiting for like a half hour to talk to him and uh, indulges. But I, because of that, he puts so much effort and work into – wanting and making himself better and fixing the loose ends in his game that I, you know, I I think there's this, this natural instinct to want to reward him. And, and and whereas with Tatum, I think he just makes it look so easy and scoring comes so easy to him. And yet, you know, I just think we all sit here and say the same thing, like, Oh, he can be more efficient. He can go to another level. Uh, Ultimately the on-off splits suggest that Tatum has been more impactful this year. has been more, of a key to their success. And that's why I've sort of deferred to the notion that he'll be their, their second all-star if they only get two. Um, but I, I do think like if Tatum really, really wants to be great. And I get the sense that he does is that he has all the potential in the world to get there. I just think again, if those shots start falling more consistently, uh, if he starts getting the whistles that tend to frustrate him at times when he doesn't, get called uh you know he's going to be a 26 28 point per game score you know every night just with his natural abilities you know, the 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 additional size the the shooting ability um to me his his ceiling is just a little bit higher i think the one thing that that people have slept on a little bit this year and you know brad sort of put it in in the spotlight at one point this year is just Tatum defensively has been great and jumping passing lanes using his his, his again his wingspan and length to disrupt um, he's been really, really good. And I, I, I just I just get the sense that he's only scratched the surface. And so fair or not, because, you know, maybe I'm doing it again. Maybe I'm sitting here and saying, well, Jalen Brown can't possibly continue to make the strides that he has. And maybe he will because he'll just bust his ass and, 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 and find a way to do it. But to me, Tatum still has just a little bit more of a ceiling. And maybe, again, just because of the additional size, the, 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 the natural shooting ability. Uh, but it's a great luxury to have that we have to sit here and, and debate uh, that whether which of the Celtics uh, potential all-star players has a higher ceiling because they be, they both been so damn good. Well, hell, Gordon Hayward would have been in the conversation if he had stayed healthy too. I, I would think anyway. But with those two guys specifically, in the short term, you know, thinking about just this season, what's the main thing you'd like to see each one of them work on? Uh, so for Tatum, you know, I, I joked that the, the, the for, we were doing Celtics post up and making New Year's resolutions. I, I want to see him stop complaining uh, when he doesn't get a call. <laughs> You know, listen, I, he's going to be a superstar. I mean, listen, he's got the Jordan brand uh, already endorsement. Um, he could potentially be an all-star. 
He's going to get a max contract probably this summer. And so it's all lining up for him in terms of, you know, sort of elevating to that next echelon of NBA superstar. He's going to start getting those calls more often, but there's just too often where he goes to the hoop because he's not making those shots. He sort of throws his arms up and looks at the official. And every time I look over at Brad Stevens, who is just screaming at the top of his lungs for Tatum to get back and, and get set defensively so that they don't give up an easy transition basket. And so, again, I think that will come. And, you know, I, he just can't allow himself to get frustrated by those moments. He's just too good, and um, they need him back on defense uh, to, to do that. And so, like, listen, if that's the worst thing I can nitpick on, on his game, that, that's pretty good. And his shot selection has been so much better this year. Uh, he's really kind of figuring it all out as he goes and, and the moves he's got, it's just, it's really neat to watch for Jalen. I, I mean, I don't know if I can, if there's anything I can really nitpick, you know, I used to say like he couldn't put the ball on the ground because his ball handling wasn't strong enough. And he, and sometimes he would drive at the basket. and was a little bit reckless. Like I think, you know, we used to joke about how many times he'd go up to try to post or someone and, and not finish the dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, he's just so much more in control. He's got the ball handling where he can attack people now off the dribble. His left hand finish has been phenomenal. Um, he shot the three-pointer at almost an absurd rate. Like, there's no way. I think in December he was up. You know, there was a stretch where he was up over like 56. You know, these these aren't sustainable numbers, but um, I think it, for him, it just comes down to defensive consistency. He's embraced taking on a lot of the fours. Still has moments where you know he sort of loses his focus and maybe uh, loses the defender or loses the man he's defending. Um, but again, like the 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 all-around strides he's made. Uh, and people hate when I do this, but if you go and look at Kawhi Leonard at age 23 versus Jalen Brown in, in this season, or at least in their fourth years, um, man, there's a lot of similarities. And I'm not saying that Jalen Brown's going to be a Kawhi-like defender. I think that's the biggest separation between those two. But if he stays on that sort of trajectory, uh, wow, that, that could be really impressive. So some of this is obviously development and, and maturity, but some of it is attitude and freedom and so many things along those lines you'll you'll kind of know where i'm going and you happen to be one of the few people i think that is in my same boat where you're allowed to acknowledge the past you know a lot of people say hey like last year doesn't matter anymore look at how good this team is let's focus on this year and and yada 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 last year never happened you know living in kind of a bubble I don't work that way. I get chastised for the amount that I will still mention either on this podcast or on Twitter, you know, he who <laughs> shall not be named. But uh, as as the great Will Smith once said in a song, you never know where you're going until you know where you've been. And so here's my question. Was last year's experience good in the long run for this team in the same way that the deep run two years ago actually proved to be bad for last year's group? Or am I just looking I mean, for a positive where there isn't necessarily one connected? Yeah, like I, I, you're absolutely fair to look at it. I think, uh, as you said, you can't learn from experiences without having experiences. And so uh, it's certainly all in how you look at it. I'm sure no one on the Celtics is sitting there thinking that was a great thing to go through. Uh, and yet I do think it's all how you apply it. And so a lot of these guys took the lessons learned from last year, and I don't know if they necessarily would understand how good they have it now if they didn't go through that. And so I do think there's something to that idea. And I'm with you. Like, I know people freak out every time we, we sort of roll it back, but I don't think you can tell the story of the 1920 Celtics without reflecting on what the 1819 Celtics went through. And so, you know, people get so mad when I bring up like, Oh, it's good vibes over there. Well, yeah, well the vibe sucked last year. <laughs> and you no, know, like 
it, it, it's just how it was. And, and I, I know like Brad Stevens in particular doesn't want to go there because he thinks it's unfair to compare. And, and it, it, it sort of all harkens back to this notion that, you know, that it was one guy who was the problem and it wasn't, you know, there was, it was multiple layers to, to their discontent. And, and even some of the guys that are still here didn't play to their full potential, whether that was situation or just um, the opportunity, never really embracing the opportunity they had. And so, um, but yeah, like I'd be lying if I said it, it, it's just not completely different this year and that, you know, maybe they appreciate it a little bit more. I know like covering the team, I appreciate it more. It's uh, it, 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 it's funny to go to the Auerbach center and it's all sunshine and puppy dogs now. Whereas last year there was just like dark clouds hanging over the place perpetually. And so listen, I don't think that's, it's a stretch to, to say that a lot of their success is due in part to the good vibes. I think it's easier to navigate the rumbles in the road when you you sort of trust everybody and that you like the people that are next to you and that you have confidence that you're going to get through it i just don't know if last year's team had that i think well one of the things we kept saying was as soon as you know things started to go sideways they just came unraveled because no one really trusted that they were going to pull themselves out of it and does a smile and kemba walker mean the celtics are, are are more likely no but like you know, they, they trust that now that they're going to figure out a way and that they don't get down, they don't let things snowball and frustrate them. So I do think it's, it's part of what has contributed to the to the overall success this year is just uh, being more confident in each other, being happier. Yeah, I just think that, and, you know, not to belabor the point, but as you said, you know, it you can separate what happens on the floor with these guys, what happens on the floor with other guys, you know, talent versus talent. And this is and this is why, you know, when Kemba Walker was signed, people made the case, and, and rightfully so, that, hey, this guy is not as good a player, as good an individual talent as Kyrie Irving, but he might fit better. And therefore, if you're getting, you know, 85% the player of Kyrie Irving or 90% the player of Kyrie Irving, you're actually getting a better player within this particular system because of just everything that comes along with the package of having this one guy versus this one guy. And other guys did acknowledge at the end of last year, you know, we went, you know, our our mood where our play on the court went as Kyrie's mood dictated. And if Kyrie was not in a good mood a lot of the time, and you could speak to that better than me, then that can carry you. You know, if you're just put it in real life terms for anybody out there, if you're going to work every single day in an environment where you're just surrounded by moody people, how excited are you going to be to do your job versus if you're going to a really happy place where it's like, man, I can't wait to go to work today. It's going to to totally change your outlook on life and probably your performance. Yeah. It's it's undeniable to me that, that there, 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 the correlation and I, you know, people can downplay it all they want. I get it. You want to focus on this year, but man, what they went through last year can has had to, it, it, it is impossible that it doesn't change the way they approach this year whether that was guys wanting to atone for how bad it was and finding motivation in it. Um, you know, I think, you know, Jalen Brown comes into this year and appreciates a whole lot more the opportunity he has, the freedom he has, the chance to display his talents. And I, I just don't think this looks the same without having gone through it. Although that being said, uh, if the Celtics win tonight and they're now, I think they'd be 4-0 without Kemba, someone is going to have to do a hot take column like, are the Celtics better without Kemba? Yeah, exactly. It, it has to happen. <laughs> Has to have Draper say it. He would say something like that. But I, I have to tell him or text him or something. I definitely said it on Twitter at some point. Although I, di- I didn't. Maybe it was cowardly on my part. I didn't at mention him 
But uh, but you know, putting Kyrie Irving in his All Decade team was the most <laughs> asinine thing I've ever heard in my entire life, and I've heard a lot of bad sports takes concerning the Celtics. No, no, Drapes is my guy. I love him. <laughs> oh, of course, and yeah, and yet uh, we sat there in the aftermath, and, and and like you know, not to peel back the curtain too far, but certainly there are times where. Uh, maybe you uh, lean into a, a hot take a little more than you might, and with the All idea right. of oh, this will this will get people talking. That Drapes did not. Drapes wasn't doing it for clout. He wasn't doing it for like you know to make people mad. He just honestly believed watching Kyrie Irving was that spectacular. And I I understand like Kyrie's really talented. I was you know, I was watching some, some some tape the other day of, of of a game last season. I was like, wow, I kind of forgot like how much fun that was. Like the moves. Uh, one of my last stories for ESPN was this all about like the moves he makes. And it was one of the most fun stories I've ever reported because guys were genuinely just excited to talk about what a wizard he is with the ball. Mm-hmm. And, oh, he's, you know, the, he's the best he ball, play, ball handler I've ever seen. And, but like Drapes' argument was essentially that he, you know, he was really good and they had one 16 game winning streak and he deserved to be on the all decade team. <laughs> and very, very, very rarely, like I'm usually the measured guy in all this where I just try to like, you know, I don't try to get too worked up. But it literally made my head explode. I was like, Drapes, you're arguing that a guy who won five playoff games, one playoff series, is on your all-decade team when this team has been to three Eastern Conference Finals, one NBA Finals, like probably should have been to more NBA Finals. Like, I, I just could not wrap my head around it. And uh, I don't know. It made for a great podcast because Ben Sherrod just berated him. Um, and he really had really no leg to stand on. Uh, but shouts like that's that's a tough position to take, and uh, I'm I'm actually surprised people weren't more worked up about it. But it also speaks to the just the general fatigue that people have from from last season. Well, a uh, a guy that I don't remember, a guy you may have put on on your all decade team, or maybe Sherrod did. Someone did Al Horford, and you know I, I I could certainly justify that. Well, maybe he was the problem last year because it certainly looks like things are not going well with the Sixers. And I say that sarcastically. I know Horford was not a problem. He was a model soldier and all that. But he cashed <laughs> in and now, you know, has admitted that he still has not found his rhythm with this team. He has struggled to coexist with Joel Embiid, which seemed, you know, just thinking about it when he signed like, "Oh man, like this is the perfect fit. This is a two-headed monster." So, what's going on with Horford there or are we just seeing signs of age and decline? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think one is, yeah, listen, he's older. And I think there was the part of the reason the Celtics weren't willing to, to just blow him away out of the gates was that you have to be concerned when a player is, is especially a, a front court guy is getting older and, and thinking three, four years down the line, it gets harder to, to see him maintaining the production that he's had. Um, certainly the fit hasn't been great, but I think some of that is, you know, I've heard people compare it to last year with the Celtics where, you know, guys aren't willing to step outside their comfort zone and it's hurting the team. And so certainly that's more Simmons than, than anybody else. Like, you know, is, is, is they've got his coach and, and Bede have not so subtly, you know, sort of said he's got to start shooting in order to get defenses to respect him and space the floor the way this team needs it to be spaced. And so, uh, you know, but I don't know what Al like necessarily thought was going to happen going there. You know, when you've got Simmons who wants the ball in his hand, when you've got Embiid who demands touches and you've got shooters on the perimeter, I'm not sure where Al's offense necessarily would have come from. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to watch your stat line dip when you're winning games. And so I think there's just some frustration that as a whole, the team hasn't played to its level. And guys, uh, you know, necessarily when it starts falling back on them, uh, get a little defensive. And so, 
Uh, I don't, again, I don't worry about it too much. Uh, I don't know how necessarily they solve it, but I think they will figure it out. I don't know if that's unfortunately Brett Brown being the fall guy and, and just bringing in someone who maybe challenges Simmons a little bit more and, or at least like, you know, maybe it's just making a move. I, I don't know how it'll necessarily shake itself down, but I, I think we'll look back and maybe the writing off of the 76ers will be a little bit premature. Uh, but in general, yeah, you know, I, I've heard people sort of say, you know, okay, did the Celtics make, did the Celtics uh, get lucky that Al did not return and that, you know, did that set them up better for the future? And I, I think it's fair, you know, like, I, I don't know how it necessarily would have worked if Al was back. I would have probably felt better about this team and its ceiling and its ability to defend the Horford than the uh, Embiid and, and Giannis of the world. But, um, you know, would it have, would it have muddied the ability for others to, 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 to break out? I, I do wonder if, uh, if, if we had an alternate little simulation, how, uh, how things might've played out. Would you like a few Twitter questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, this one comes from uh, T Hardy, which is, do you think we'll see bigger lineups against the Sixers next week? Maybe more Cantor at the five, Tice at the four. I almost would want to see it go the other way. Again, I want to see how if the, if the Celtics can play the chess match and if they've got their their best five available, whether they can force Philadelphia to to maybe force themselves to go small. And I don't know what what small means for them. You know, again, they're 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 just big in general. Um, but can you force Horford off the floor, which again, we've seen at times where they've, they've actually, you know, taken him off to, to go small. And so um, I'll be interested to see if, if they can sort of win that chess match. I do think maybe at the start, you know, obviously on opening night, they put Cantor out there to start the game um, in the, the rematch in Boston. They started with Tice. And then once Tice started uh, getting worked a little bit, they rolled Cantor in there. I think maybe you still do that. Like some starting lineup has been very good. And I don't, I think, you know, for the sake of continuity, uh, where I don't think either player would really get worked up if they were in and out of that starting lineup. Like, you could, if they swap Cantor in, I don't think Tice sits there and pouts. Um, but maybe you try Tice at the start. Because um, I just think you're going to need them. If, if these are the bigs you're going to ride with, invariably, like, each of those guys going to be out there for 20 minutes. There's going to be overlap with Embiid minutes. And so can you buy small stretches where, you know, Tice at least, you know, is out there, just maybe doesn't follow as much as he's, as he's been prone to when going up against Embiid, uh, and then, you know, roll Cantor in. So I'll be interested to see how they do that. Maybe I can see some bigger lineups in terms of, you know, Grant Williams at the four uh, with a big, and, you know, I, again, that's six foot six, so it's not big, but at least it's a guy who can sort of battle and joust and be stout defensively, so... Uh, I will be curious how they, they play the chess match. That's the big thing. Like, it's not so much the wins and losses. It's just how do you feel comfortable with how the Celtics look in these games that uh, that size won't be an issue in a seven-game series? We hit on this to a pretty decent degree earlier in the show, but for the sake of attaching some actual names to it, Jordan wants to know, with Tyson Cantor playing well, how likely are the Seas to trade for a big like uh, Nerlens Noel, Willie Cauley-Stein, Dwayne Dedman, that type? Yeah, you know, every time I look up the numbers of, like, Dwayne Dedman against Embiid, I come away horrified. You know, he <laughs> got absolutely roasted earlier this year. I think it, it's really natural. We're all sitting there looking for the best seven-foot guy who has a little bit of beef on him and can, can sort of joust with these guys. And yet Cantor, undeniably, like, one of the few, one of the few things he does really well defensively is, is sort of that, that hand-to-hand compat and one-on-one matchup. So I feel pretty comfortable with him at least making Embiid work now. It, I say this while fully acknowledging that he dropped 38 points last time in Boston, but 
Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not sure if Aaron Baines was out there that he wasn't getting 38 anyway, especially the the motivation that the T- TNT broadcast crew had given him right before that that, right. that meeting. So, um, you know, you might just have to live with it in the same way that when you go up against Giannis, you're like, if you're holding the 30, you probably had a good night. And, you know, that's going to be the way it is with Embiid. So can you quiet everybody else? Can you keep Simmons from attacking the basket the way he did in opening night? Uh, you can live with it. So um, I, I don't see the trade market. Uh, because I think the player you'd have to give up to get a legitimate big is just too much. And, uh, you know, you might just be at the mercy of, of the buyout market. One more. This is from C's fan 18. Look into your crystal ball. Tell us if Gordon Hayward, his future in Boston beyond this season and even at the trade deadline. So this is really fascinating. We, we, I mean, we could do a whole show on this. Oh, easily. You know, so, so he, I mean, for those who you know, don't know, he has this player option after this season. Which is wild to think because it feels like we've barely seen him in a Celtics uniform based on his injuries. But, you know, there's a chance that he could opt out. He'd be the, maybe the, the most elite free agent on the market um, because of the thin class that exists this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but does he get the $34 million or whatever it is he'd be opting out of? Um, he will be, have 10 years of service in the NBA so he could sign for a larger percentage of the salary cap and so it it, it would push him up into like the 40 million dollar range by the end of the contract and maybe security for a player that's been injured is important but um i I don't know i I don't know how it's going to play out i think part of me says it's it's like there's been good faith on both sides and that he'll just probably opt in and come back but uh, didn't we just sit here last year and say, oh, yeah, Al Horford's definitely yep. going to opt in and come back? and you know, Or opt out and re-sign and, for you know, longer-term, right, lower exactly. OAV, that sort of thing. And I think, I think that's absolutely a potential for, for Gordon Hayward after this season. Um, you know, the Celtics, again, have to be feel like he's part of this with Jalen and Jason. Is, is he a building block deep into the future? And I, I don't get the sense that they don't, uh, especially part of it will be how good does this, this team look through the playoffs and do these four complement each other uh, on the big stage, and so it, 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 it's it's a super intriguing thing to watch, uh, and yet it could be as boring as right after the season, Warren Hayward says, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back, and we've got to wait another summer to, to really figure out what his future is. All right, last one. This is from uh, our, our mutual friend, my producer, Evan. He wants to know, favorite off-camera moment working with Ennis Cantor on his podcast? Uh, so the one, the one, the only one that pops into mind uh, immediately is uh, we were sitting there, uh, but, but sort of in between segments, uh, Poria had just left, and so it was the night Taco Fall was doing the pops, and <laughs> I don't understand how the the music works at the at the Hourback Center, but all of a sudden Sleigh Ride by uh, you know the, the Boston Symphony Orchestra started blaring. Like I'm not I'm not like eleven on the dial throughout the practice facility. And so I don't know if someone was just trying to get Taco warmed up and Cantor was just like, you know, what is going on? And like, we're sitting there trying to, to, to stop down and uh, you know, before we start the next segment. And it was, it was just funny. I will say I, going into the podcast, I didn't know what to expect. I knew a lot about Cantor. I obviously knew like, you know, what was going on with, uh, you know, his family and Turkey. And I knew that he was a, a, a grade A troll. Um, but you can literally just, most of the episodes have been just sitting down and I'll have like four or five questions. And then it just sort of snowballs and branches off and goes crazy. And he's just had so many experiences. He knows so many people. Uh, every time I say something like, 
you know, oh, well, uh, you want to work in WWE when you when when you're done your career? And he'll say, do you want me to call the Undertaker? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, oh, right now. Yeah, but yeah, at 100. percent And uh, and he, and he's like, I, I have Paul Heyman's number. Do you want, do you want me to call him? You know, I, I met Triple H the other day, and you know, listen, part of it is I'm I'm a, I'm a wrestling nerd from growing up, and I'm like. These were all my heroes. Like, yes, let's call all of them. Um, right in a row. He, he's just a fa- yeah, and he, but he's just a fascinating individual. I guess the other, the, the flip side of it all is that, you know, like he hasn't seen his mom in four years now, and you forget how much he goes through off the court, how much, like, really, you know, there are times where his safety feels in jeopardy, and, and we knew that just from, you know, his inability to travel outside the country. I sort of marveled at the perspective of it all that he doesn't, you know, he's just such a happy guy. And like nothing in the world brings him more joy than calling Taco Fall and taking uh, snapshots on FaceTime, because half his camera roll is just pictures of Taco on FaceTime, <laughs> and he does it every time he calls them. And so, uh, it, it, I mean, it's just it's just some, it's fun to him, and he, he doesn't take anything too seriously, except for the fact that he knows that he's having a positive impact on the world and, and trying to like bring light to what's going on in his country and. Yeah, I just feel, like, blessed to sort of uh, be able to to talk him through it. Well, Chris, I'm glad we didn't take this thing too, too seriously. And uh, always appreciate you coming (laughs) on. This is a good time. Thank you, brother. Like like I said, don't don't worry about me getting overexposed. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely do it. And and you, unlike some, won't name names because everybody gets back eventually. But you get back pretty quickly. Some, you know, you don't hear back from like two, three hours. Some maybe maybe never on a given week. It depends. It's you know, it it can be work chasing down a guest at times. So I'm I appreciate the quick reply always. But I, definitely, and I, no, the only thing I'd ask is that you introduce me to Maddie in the morning uh, with your kids. <laughs> hey, next time that uh, that you come into the station, I'm I'm happy to walk you down the hall. <laughs> Chris Forsberg, NBC brother. Sports Boston. Thanks, buddy. Take care. No surprise, as always. Great stuff from Chris, and uh, a fun show. I hope you enjoyed it. And get yourself ready for this game here tonight. Couple notes that uh, broke actually as I was talking to Chris, and didn't you know they weren't important enough to dive into with him. But Romeo Langford also out against the Wizards tonight. Kemba Walker, as we know, is not going to play. Taco Fall is going to be with the team, but he's not playing. Save your taco chance. He's not playing in this one, but he will be available for the next two games. That's according to Adam Himmelsbach. I'm assuming it's according to Brad Stevens. But uh, so, you know, maybe. Maybe some taco chance and MVP chance and all that stuff will be coming up. He can keep increasing upon those ridiculous per 36 minutes and uh, earn himself an all-star spot. All right, uh, this show brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Thanks to Chris, to Evan, to uh, Nick, Larry, and John, everybody at CLNS Media, and of course, you. First time I get to say that in 2020. Appreciate you. Get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. We'll continue to do what we do, engage, debate, interact, all of that stuff, and if you like the shows, We appreciate ratings, reviews on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show. Just search Celtics or Celtics Beat. It'll pop right up. Find us on YouTube, the CLNS Media YouTube page. You can find us on Stitcher. And, of course, I tweet out the shows and typically pin them as my tweet as well each and every week. So, always a good time. All right, let's get some more Gino. I know, not tonight. They'll be in D.C., but soon. Gino, we want to see you.